Let me ask you to honor God's Word by standing with me as we read this story that Jesus told. We call these stories parables. A parable just simply means a a homespun story that may or may not have actually happened, but it's told to convey a truth, to communicate a principle. As in this case, it's to respond to a question. Jesus said in verse 1 of chapter 20, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed upon uh, with the laborers for a, uh, for a denarius for the day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever's right, I'll give it to you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? Well, they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening time came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired heard about the uh, 11th hour uh, came, each one received a denarius. Denarius was equivalent to about one day's wage in Jesus' day. And when those hired first came, they thought they'd get more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what's yours and go. But if I wish to give to this man the same as to you, what is that to you? Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. God bless the reading of His Word. Thank you. Please be seated. Jesus was the master storyteller. He could communicate a truth that would pierce to the heart of His hearers faster than a streak of lightning by telling a story. And this story that He tells here is one of the most unusual parables or stories that He tells. It's often misinterpreted, misunderstood, but to understand this parable is really to understand the very core of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the sheer unmerited gift of God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me see if I can paraphrase this into a modern day context. Tomorrow morning, you get up, you go to the end of your driveway, you pick up the 
Conroe Courier or you go online and you read the Conroe Courier and there across the, the headlines is new industry comes to Conroe. And there's a new company moving into town and there are going to be 200 job positions available. Well, the day comes for the interviewing and the hiring of those workers and lo and behold, a thousand people show up vying for 200 positions. People look around and they realize four out of five people aren't going to be here by the end of the day. But to their amazement, when all of the interviewing process was done, the new owner hires all 1,000 workers. The work week gets started, the business gets started, and when it does, some of the workers decide they're going to be there right at 8 o'clock on time, but some don't come in until 9. More come in around 11 or 12, some at 3, some even come in at 4.30. And at the end of the work week... When the paychecks go out, everybody gets the same amount. The next morning, Conroe Headlines says, Crackpot Employer Breaks Wage Scale. Who would do something like that? That's, that's insane. That's crazy. But that's exactly what Jesus said in this parable. This eccentric landowner with unusual generosity. But what you have to understand is this parable is not a parable about employment. It's not a parable about fair labor laws or fair wage scales. It's a story about the nature of God. About the character of God. And the sheer grace that God has for those who respond to His call, whether they come at dawn or whether they come in the eleventh hour and holding. This story, as I said, it was a response to Peter's question. Back in chapter 19, verse 27, Peter asked this question, Lord, what's in it for us? What are we going to get out of this? We've left everything that we have, and we've followed you. But I'm noticing these street people that are coming, and these prostitutes, and these tax collectors, and, and, and they're, they're following you, they're placing their faith in you, and you're accepting them in just like you did us. What's in it for us? It was one of those kind of tit-for-tat, quid-quo-pro, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back, kind of questions. And Jesus tells this story in response to Peter's question about the grace of God. Now, the setting for this parable is the latter or the, uh, the, the fall grape harvest. Right before the latter rains set in that would prevent the, the harvest from taking place. And, and as Jesus begins this story, He begins by introducing characters to us. He says, first of all, there were the early men. They came at the first hour. And the Jewish day begins at 6 a.m. 
And so when he marks that time, he's talking about guys that would, would have been there at the crack of dawn. They were the, they were the go-getters. They were the ambitious guys. They were passionate for a job. And he goes and he meets with them. And he even indicates in verse 2 that he probably haggled with the guys a little bit over the wage. But they agreed then on a denarius, the typical day's wage. But then this landowner goes back at the third hour, which would have been nine o'clock in the morning. There's some more guys standing around. He hires them and says, you go to my vineyard as well. He returns at noon. And then again at three, these are guys that are not so ambitious, but they show up. And so Jesus or the landowner says, you go and work my vineyards as well. Now, every time Jesus tells a parable, there's always a twist. There's always a gotcha kind of point. And this is where we come to the gotcha point. Jesus said, then the landowner goes back at the 11th hour. Five o'clock in the afternoon. One hour left in the workday. And he finds some guys in the market square. And he asks them a question. Why are you guys standing around here idle all day long? Now their answer, twofold. Number one, it was a lie. But number two, their answer really was accusing the landowner more than it was giving an excuse for their own behavior. They said, well, we haven't been hired because no one came and hired us. Well, the landowner knew that was a lie because he had been there four times already that day. And they weren't there. But they were saying, well, it's not our fault. Nobody's hired us. We would have gone. So the landowner says, all right, you go to my vineyard as well. And they went at the 11th hour. What did Jesus mean by this story? What, what, was, he, what was He saying? No employment employer would have done that. But again, this isn't a parable about employment. It's about the grace of God. What Jesus is saying to us in this parable is this. God is a God of grace. And He's a God that calls us in the morning time. He calls us at midday. And He calls us in the 11th hour. L. Nelson Bell was a missionary to China. And he was the father of Ruth Bell, who became the wife of Billy Graham. And L. Nelson Bell wrote his autobiography, entitled it, A Foreign Devil in China. And in that autobiography, he talks about how that he came to Christ at a very early age, at 11 years old. God calls in the morning. In the early time, I was raised in Groves, Texas. If some of you know where Groves is, about 90 miles east of here, over in the Beaumont Port Arthur area. And um, my dad was not a pastor. It's always kind of assumed that a preacher's daddy was probably a preacher too, and he just inherited the family business, but that was not the case. My dad worked in a refinery, he worked at Texaco for 42 years. And if you've ever been to that part of the country, there are more refineries in Jefferson County than there are people. I mean, there's everywhere you turn, there's a refinery. Well, I grew up being a refinery rat, but I didn't 
disdain that because it treated me well. It put food in my stomach, clothes on my back, and a roof over my head. But even though my dad wasn't a pastor, my parents were godly, Jesus-loving people. And they taught me from the first words I can ever remember about God's love. Jesus was a very common topic around our house. The Bible was a common thing around our house. It didn't just collect dust on the coffee table. We used it. We read it. We talked about it. And I loved going to church. And it was because of that strong early Christian heritage that one day on a Sunday, just like today, sitting in a service like this service, our auditorium of the church where I grew up wasn't this big. We had an aisle down the middle and there were two sections of pews on each side. And we were sitting right over here on about the third or fourth row. And the preacher was up there preaching just like I am right now. And in the middle of that sermon, God just got a hold of my heart. I had been talking and questioning my parents and asking questions, but I mean, God just slammed me that day. And I thought, I'm going to die and go to hell if I don't trust Christ now. And I, I punched my mom and I said, Mom, I want to be saved now. And my mom wasn't a theologian, but she knew better than to put off a question like that and say, okay, we'll talk about it when we get home or we'll talk about it later. Let me, parents, let me tell you, when your kids want to talk to you about Jesus, don't put them off. They may not be ready to make a commitment. I'm not saying that. But don't put them off and say, well, we'll talk about that later. Because that's not that child. That's the Holy Spirit bringing that child into a, a place of knowledge and, and recognition of who God is. Take time. So my mom, while the preacher's preaching, stood up and marched me out. We had a door on the side of the platform, just like that one over there, and marched me out. Now, the rest of the church saw that. It was obvious. It was right before God and the whole congregation. And most of them thought we were going out for a totally different reason because they had seen that scenario before. But my mom took me into a little Sunday school classroom behind the auditorium. And I remember kneeling before these folding chairs. And she told me how I could pray and ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And at six years of age... I trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Moms and dads, let me tell you something. You got young kids. I've had parents before tell me, I don't think, you know, a six or eight or nine year old can understand enough to come to Christ. Well, let me tell you, you can have a PhD in theology and still not know Jesus. Six year olds can come to Christ. Let me, let me take a quick poll. I didn't do this in the other service. How many of you here that know Christ as Savior and Lord came to know the Lord before you were 12 years old? Raise your hand. Look around the room. Yeah. It's statistical proof. If people don't come to Christ by the time they become a teenager, the chances of them coming to Christ at all go way down. So Jesus is telling this crowd, He's telling Peter, Peter, yes, God calls early in the morning. I called you and you came. You surrendered. You left those boats and you came with me, but not everybody comes at that early hour. King Henry VIII died on January 27th of 
1547. Henry VIII had never made any kind of confession of faith in Christ, and his confidant and friend, Anthony Denny, had summoned Thomas Cranmer when the king was on his deathbed and told Thomas, who at that time was the archbishop of, of um, uh, Canterbury, and he summoned him to come and talk to the king. Thomas Cranmer had witnessed to the king before, and the king made no response. But he came this time, and he came into the king's chambers, and he told the king, I know you can't speak, but I'm going to speak to you. And if you can hear, I want you to squeeze my hand. The king did. And he shared the gospel with him again. He told him how that God loved him, and God wanted to forgive him of all of his sins and give him eternal life in heaven. And he said, O king, if you will accept God's grace, squeeze my hand. And reportedly, according to the historical story, that's when King Henry VIII gave his life to Christ. As a pastor, I've been with a whole lot of people in the last few moments of their life, even up until the last breath of their life. And I can tell you, I've never had one person tell me Preacher, I, I regret giving my life to Christ. I regret trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. Not one. No. Best to come to God when you can. Best to come early in the day. Best not to, to wait and, and, and blow the burnout ashes of a burnout life in the face of God. Come early. But God is a God. As Jesus tells us in this story, God is a God who does call in the morning, midday, and in the eleventh hour. Would God do that if somebody prayed at the last hour to save them? It's best to come to God at that time if you haven't already, but it's, it, it, it's better yet not to die by that damnable heresy that says blessed are the consistent because they die in their consistency. There was a, a Nordic short story writer called Niels Lenay was his name. He was a avowed atheist. And friends had talked to him about Christ, but even on his deathbed, he said, I have never believed in God, I am not going to believe in God now. At his funeral, one of his friends got up and in the eulogy praised Linnae for being consistent in his spiritual beliefs. Oh, come to God. Trust in Him when you can. We're not guaranteed tomorrow or the next day or a little later, even today, we're guaranteed right now. The Apostle Paul says now is the acceptable time of salvation. It's the only time we have. It's the only time we have. And we may not hear, even if we live to be a hundred, we may not hear God's voice calling us again. There's no guarantee that He'll call again or that we'll be able to hear. Meanwhile, Back at the vineyard, it's payday. 
And the land, the, the owner of the vineyard tells his foreman, call the men in and give them their wage. But then he tells them something very strange. He said, tell those who were last to get in line first. In other words, tell those 11th hour guys to get in the line first, pay them first. And so he lines them all up. Here's the guys that came in at the 11th hour at the first of the line. The guys that came in the first hour are at the back of the line. And he starts paying them and he pays the guys that came at the 11th hour who were expecting maybe just a, a quarter of a denarius, maybe a half. But he pays them a full day's wage. He pays them a whole day's uh, a denarius, a full denarius. Well, other guys are watching. Those guys who came at the third hour, those guys that were there at the first hour, they're watching and they're thinking, well, this crackpot, when we get up there, he may give us three or four or five or six denarii. But when they get there, he pays them one, just like he did the guys who came at the 11th hour. Well, Jesus said when that happened, they began to grumble against the landowner in verse 11. He said he grumbled against the land. Then that word grumble is a funny word for those English teachers out here in the audience. The grumble is a is an onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like what it sounds like. So grumble is the German word for this, what Jesus said. And uh, the Latin is murmur. That's an onom murmur, 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 you know, you get the point. In the Greek, it's the word gangosmus. Gangosmus. So you can hear it through the crowd. It's just a rumbling of, you know, they're just complaining about what's going on here. They don't like it. And then they even almost hiss at the landowner in verse 12. And they said, these men, you can, you can hear the anger in their voice. These men came at the last hour, but we've borne the burden of the work all day. And you're paying us the same? And then Jesus unveils the character and the nature of God. He said, why are you complaining? I gave you what I promised you. It's mine to give. And if I want to give it to someone who came later, don't I have the right to do that? And what Jesus was saying is this. Again, God is a God of grace that calls us in the morning, at midday, and even late. Best to come early. Best not to take a chance. Best not to gamble with your eternity. But God does still call. And when we respond, He gives grace. He'll give that to you. I don't know where you are spiritually. You may have just come today because a friend invited you. You may not really be sure what your relationship is with God. But I promise you this, that God is a God who gives to everyone the same grace. Whether they be one people that we would think, well, they, they don't deserve eternal life. They don't deserve heaven. God gives the same grace. I will never forget, it's been probably 28 years ago. It was before I came to West Conroe. I was visiting in 
the neighborhood around our church. And I had the card of a young lady that had visited our church. And I went up to her house and knocked on the door. And she came to the door. I, I told her who I was. She said, yeah, I, I remember seeing you at church on Sunday. I said, yeah, thank you for visiting our church. And, and I moved from just talking about church to talking about a relationship with Christ. And I said, you know what I really want to do is I, I want to ask you a question. Do you know if you'd die today, if you'd go to heaven? And she said, oh, no, I would not go to heaven. And I said, would you mind if I share with you what the Bible says that God wants us to do so we can go to heaven? She said, no. And so I shared the gospel with her. And when I got through, I said, is there any reason that you couldn't make this decision today? You wouldn't give your life to Jesus. And this young lady, I mean, she was in her early 20s. She looked right at me and she said, God would never forgive me for the things I've done. And I said, well, I've got good news for you. I said, God's grace is greater than your sin. And He will forgive you. And she said, oh no, God could never forgive me. And I finally had to walk away from that house with that young lady convinced her sin was greater than God's grace. And He couldn't possibly forgive her. Let me tell you, don't you believe that? That's a lie from hell. Satan wants you to believe that. God is a God of unusual generosity.